I had a friend uh, in college, I'll call him Dave, because he is a Facebook friend and I'm afraid he might listen to this, so we'll protect his identity, because uh, Dave got an internship after Wheaton to basically become the personal assistant of a very famous evangelical leader. If I were to say the name of this person, half of you in this room would go, really? Whoa, that's so cool. And this guy had a reputation for being godly, wise, just the knowledge of the New Testament, the ability to explain God's and open God's word. He had a global ministry. Well, when Dave got into it, within the first week or two, discovered several things about this ministry leader. One, the guy was a hothead and would get angry quickly. Uh, Just would lose his temper when the details weren't right, when somebody didn't follow through the way they should have followed through. The other thing the guy did was uh, he was basically a you know, somebody who put down others. Um, you know, if you didn't hit the mark, you know, you would be on the receiving end of, you're such an idiot, I can't believe, you know, and, and the staff around this ministry leader had done such an amazing job, and keep in mind, this is the late 80s, they had done such an amazing job to insulate that and keep that private and hidden. You and I would say, what a hypocrite, right? You know, we would, we would, perhaps rightly judge that person and say, they're just projecting an image. They're just projecting some version of their self that has no bearing or relationship whatsoever to the real them. And we say the same thing about politicians today, don't we? You know, we, we talk about the politicians and they don't, they're never real. They're always fake. It's always a scripted line or a set of things that have gone to a focus group. They're just telling us what we want to hear, those politicians, those posers, those projectors, Okay, and, and celebrities, sometimes megachurch pastors can get into the, and pastors, regular pastors can get into the same thing. You know, who we are on the real, uh, on the inside is not who we project on a Sunday or in weekend services or on all our satellite campuses. And you, again, you and I would say, shame on them, shame on them. You shouldn't project yourself. And, and, and I want to suggest to you this morning that you and I do the same thing. You and I do the same thing. And I know there's part of you that would be like, come on, Max, I do not do that. I am not like the Clintons or, or, you know, the posers or that evangelical ministry leader. I am so different. I'm just me. How many of you are on Facebook? Just this, this has no, you know, it's fine if you're on Facebook. Okay, so the overwhelming majority of you in this room are on Facebook. Now, don't raise your hand for this next question. How many of you have clicked in something to share and then gone back and erased it and rewritten it at least once or maybe even two or three times before you've clicked the blue share button. If you've done that, I want you to recognize something that's going on. You're editing yourself so that what you project out into Facebook land is a better version or a, or a more polished version of you, the brand of you. And when you and I do that, how different is that from what politicians or celebrities do? Um, and so I want to talk to you today about technology. We have this assumption that technology is what's been changing. You know, I grew up and then all of a sudden microwaves came along. And we could eat something that wasn't taken out of the freezer the night before. woo I mean, it was just miraculous. And then cordless telephones came along and you could disappear into the corner of a house. You know, mom and dad didn't have to know you were on the phone unless they picked up a receiver, okay? Uh, And then 
smartphones and cell phones and the web. And, and so we look at technology and we go, man, technology is just changing. But good old us, we're still the same folk we've always been. I want to suggest to you that uh, that assumption may not be accurate, that actually technology is changing us and we're changing in the process with it. Um, and some of those changes, I think, are not altogether good. And I want to talk about two things, uh, two, two things that uh, interacting over the web and texting does. It, when you're interacting with another person over the context of, of the web, whether it's chatting, blogging, twittering, Facebooking, or you're texting back and forth, there's a couple of things. One, you've eliminated a real face-to-face -face exchange. And in, in that context, it's very easy for you or me to project some thing about ourselves that may or may not be the real us. The other thing that that, that, uh, that medium does, whether it's blogging or Facebooking or whatever it is, is it, 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 it has allowed us to hide the real us even more easily. We humans had gotten really good about hiding ourselves, the real us, in normal face-to-face -face interaction. And now technology has simply given us a, a, basically a Harry Potter cloak of invisibility. I mean, how many of you have friends and the, their p Facebook picture is like 200 pounds lighter than what they really are? Or, you know, just any number of things. Um, and then don't, let's not even talk about those of us who have like avatars and spend hours at a time. I don't have one, but you know, you've got an avatar and you spend hours in this other world where you're different than you. And you kind of like that person better than you like yourself. And there's this amazing disconnect. So the one thing it's done is it's eliminated and made it harder to have a real exchange. And the second thing that it's done is it's kind of amplified um, narcissism. And I, some of you go, well, that's just a $9 college word. What is narcissism? Let me give you a definition. Narcissism is this. Me, 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 not you. Me. That's narcissism. It's a real simple definition. Okay? But here's how this plays out. You know what I've noticed about me? I'll just talk about me, not you. Okay? So that way you can just go, gosh, Max, you need to see a therapist. And I would go, yes, I do. There are times on Facebook where I'll post something, and then when people like it and comment on it, I've noticed that I feel better about myself. What is that all about? Wasn't it supposed to be some kind of change, some kind of mutuality, and then it ends up being about me? What? Okay, so there it is. I, and, and, and so I think it's easier to hide, easier to def deflect uh, when you eliminate the whole face-to-face -face encounter. Did you know that 80% of communication is nonverbal? Which is why when I'm home and Jenny says to me, you're upset, and I go, no, I'm not. And she quickly retorts with, liar. <laughs> Texting back and forth, you know, if I don't put 15 exclamation marks or put it in all caps, I'm not. There it is. You know, it, so much can get lost in this web world. Um, and so I think if when you and I move the majority of our conversations to that context, to that medium, where it's primarily on the web or through blogging or whatnot, what happens is we're reducing our ability to truly understand each other because we're eliminating 80% of communication. We're taking 80% of our communication and throwing it out of the window. 
do you think you'll have an easier time or a harder time if now you only have 20% of your communication ability to actually communicate with somebody? It's going to be harder. Okay? So in the context of friendship, I just want to get you thinking this morning about how you use technology. And I want you to ask yourself if it's actually helping or hindering your ability to know others and be known. And I want to suggest to you to, that that really is the, one of the crux of true friendship, is knowing someone and being known. A true friend is someone who knows you. Um, and Jesus makes this profound connection himself between friendship and knowing. And it's found in John chapter 15. Uh, this takes place at the end of his ministry, okay? So he has spent three years healing people, teaching people, gathering a small band of disciples and followers and teaching them how to live this God life. And so this, is, this conversation in John 15 is at the very end of that. And, and, and we're going to pick it up in verse 9, John 15, verse 9. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. He's talking about a connectedness to God. And this follows on the heels of him talking about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Again, connectedness to God. And, and what Jesus is saying is that connectedness to God naturally produces fruit and it brings about joy. Connectedness to God is fruit-bearing and joy-giving. It's a good thing being connected to God, not a bad thing. Okay, and that's verses 9 through 11. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as my Father's command, I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Love is kind of the capstone fruit uh, 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 that gets produced when you're connected to God. Okay, and then he shifts in verses 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So now he kind of pivots and he talks about and he's, and he's going to talk to them about, here's the kind of life that I want you to have with each other. In my absence, in my going away, here's how I want you to interact with each other. All right? And, and he's saying, I lived a life, imitate me. Do what I did. Live the way I lived. Love the way I loved. Okay? And then 14, and this is the kicker for what we're talking about today. Jesus says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. Well, we would all go, okay, well, that... You know, uncle, we think of Moses or Abraham or somebody who in the Old Testament who is a friend of God because they did what God wanted, got it. Um, but then in 15, it gets a little strange for God to be saying this. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. No, now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Disciples of a rabbi in the first century were sometimes considered servants. You know, they weren't on equal footing with their master. They were notches down. And in this passage right here, Jesus is taking these guys and lifting them up and saying, we're equals. We're friends. Why are we friends? Because you know me. And because you know me, you know God's heart because you've seen it in me. What a profound statement. Jesus is linking friendship with disclosure, friendship with knowing in this passage. Uh, and then the, the good news is, verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you 
to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. Our friendship with, with Jesus isn't our own doing. We know this. We talk about it in terms of grace. God chose us. God rescued us. Um, and so how did this friendship come about that he's talking about in chapter 15? Well, they had logged time together. They had had those real face-to-face conversations. And in the rabbinic Jewish culture of the first century, it wasn't, I like you, I like you too. You know, there was give and take. There was, how could you say that, you idiot? You know, or what, you know, maybe they wouldn't say you idiot, but there would be the kind of raucous interchange of what? I don't understand. Explain this. Why this and not that? And so there was a dynamic back and forth that went. They had shared experiences and they had the real give and take of real conversation. What old people today would call old-fashioned friendship. I know, I mean, it, it sounds old-fashioned. But now, here's what I'm not saying. I am not standing up here today telling you technology is evil and you should burn it all, okay? Technology is a tool, that's all, okay? And as a tool, it's neither good nor bad. It's how you use it that can have good effects on your life or bad effects on your life. And so I want to simply challenge the assumption that it's technology that's changed while we remain the same. No, I want to say that we're changing. And I think some of the ways that we're changing aren't necessarily good. And so here's my first question in light of this passage. In light of the fact that friendship and disclosure are linked, friendship and being known and knowing others is linked, let me ask this question. In terms of your texting and use of technology, is it helping you know other people, truly know them? Or is it helping you to hide? Only you can answer that. How much of your online self is the real you versus a projected you? And I want to suggest some action homework. Uh, Sarah came up to me at the beginning. She's like, I know what you're going to ask us to do this week. Okay? But if you're a heavy Facebook user, I'm going to give up Facebook for the next seven days. I would challenge you to join me. Just give it, give it up and set it aside to see what it does, to see what emotions come up in your life, to see what comes up just in the fodder of day-to-day living as an experiment just to see what goes on in the withdrawal of Facebook. I want to suggest a few things that might happen. I think one thing that you'll find, and I'm expecting this in my life, is that I'm going to get frustrated. And I'm thinking I'm going to get frustrated because I'm going to lose the ability to just exchange bits of information without having to get into a conversation with somebody. The convenience of Facebooking and texting means that we can exchange the basic raw data, just bits of information, kind of like machines, without the dynamic of human interaction. It's easier. But in doing it that way, doesn't it kind of make us a little less human? when we interface with each other that way, if it's the majority of how we interface with them. So that's the first thing I want to suggest is fast from Facebook for seven days. I know it may seem like a lot. It is. You know, seven days in Facebook time is like a millennia in human years, okay? Because, um, you know, the world could end. But, but uh, Martin Buber, a theologian of a previous generation, said that it's in the face-to-face encounters that we get the I and thou, um, and, and so there's something uh, about that. And so that's the second thing I want to ask is, uh, I want you to consider implementing intentional FaceTime in your life. And, and, and 
in the absence of Facebook, hopefully it will give you a few extra hours, maybe an hour over the course of the week where you can do some analysis and go, am I getting good face-to-face time with my spouse, with my kids? If so, where is it happening and how is it happening? Because again, you know, real communication is in that dynamic give and take and when we're fully present with each other. Um, If you're a couple, you might consider couch time. When you each come home from work, this is from an old class Jenny and I took together, you simply sit on the couch, you hold hands, and you talk for five minutes before the kids can can come in and and do the whole, Mommy, I need you, Daddy, I need blah, 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 blah. Go away, okay? You know, it's your sacred five minutes, okay? If you have kids, maybe it's at bedtime when you're putting them to bed or another time, I don't know. In the context of friends, maybe it's over a cup of coffee or playing a game of ball on the court, on the half court, or a a run together, or even just by the pool while the kids are killing each other softly or trying to drown. You you know, you can have that conversation because they're occupied, okay? All right? (laughs) When, When I was in seminary, when I was in seminary, this was a long time ago when dinosaurs were on the earth. When I was in seminary, they trained us Uh, And this is what they told us. When you go to the hospital and you pray for someone and you hold their hand, you are actually physically conveying God's presence to them when you do that. Isn't that interesting that they would teach us that in seminary? I think we're losing some of that ministry of presence in in our internet, global, Facebook-y, Twittered world. And I think we're at a tipping point where we could, in a generation, lose some of our humanity in this process. Uh, when I talk to teens and, and some of our younger folks about the whole texting versus talking to people, they, they much prefer to text. They do. They love it. But think about it. Your teenagers who are, let's say, not as mature as a 40-year-old, okay, are, are communicating and they're lopping off 80% of communication, and that's their primary way of interfacing with their friends. You know, there might be some stuntedness that comes along with it, and they will say things like, well, it's messy to make a phone call, this is just easier, but again, I think we're missing out. Um, and, M, and here's another reason why this is important. Um, an, an M, M, a group of MIT professors ran a study uh, recently with college students and they brought them in with a couple of artificial intelligence things that they have. And you would be amazed if you saw these things. They have the form, they have a body, they have facial expressions, eyes that blink. When you come into the room, the robot follows you with its eyes. It's programmed to do that. What the MIT researchers are finding is that the people are responding to these robots as real people. And when they asked, when they were doing the follow-up things, questioning with the college students, do you know what some of the college students said to them? I'd rather have one of those for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You and I would go, what? What are you smoking? You know, but this is what they said. It would just be so much easier, and I wouldn't have to deal with all the stuff and messiness of relationships, and they would, I could trust them, it would be a safe relationship. I think, you know, we're at this tipping point. And so my challenge to you and me is for us to be savvy about technology so that in our lives we have real, genuine, human friendships. 
that's what you want and I want, is to know and be known. And that's my challenge for you today.